Hi, this is Dr. Rod Story with Mere Medicine. Thank you for joining us today uh, in the Cross Politics Studio. We're going to jump in and talk about vaccines. Hi, I'm Emma Ware. I am Dr. Story's daughter. Uh, my husband and I live here in Moscow, and we are expecting our second. So we're going to have another little baby soon that we have to talk about vaccinations about. So we thought that we'd have a conversation between father and daughter, but also doctor and patient. I, I'm really uh, glad to be able to take care of my little daughter, granddaughter Nola, and um, soon to meet this new baby. Well, not we don't know just yet whether it's a boy <laughs> or a girl. Um, Emma and I um, have loved bantering over things. She went to college here at New St. Andrews. Yep. Yep. How was that? That was fantastic. Highly recommend it. She uh, gave the uh, keynote speech at her graduation, which uh, blew us out of our wa- out of our out of the water and made us crazy proud at the same time. Anyways, on to vaccinations. <laughs> <laughs> well, proud proud dad moment, right? Well, talk to me. Uh, I'd love to kind of banter in this about uh, almost like you're coming to the doctor yeah. and saying, "Hey, I'm a I'm a mom who's who's thinking about vaccinating. Um, I've got questions." So I'm going to admit off the start that honestly, I don't have a ton of hesitations about vaccinations because I am Dr. Story's daughter. I grew up in the Story house. So my well, husband yeah, we, and I we do have things to talk about. We basically vaccinated you in the most part. Although honestly, yeah. uh, as mom and I look back and, and think about vaccinations, basically we realized we didn't ask a lot of questions. Yeah. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't stop to say, how are these made? We didn't ask uh, a lot Fetal about stem science. cells. Yeah. We, yeah. we, we really, um, I, I'm not sure we would do a lot of the ones that we ended up using for you guys as you're growing up here we were just you know we were in med school we were doing the thing um we we weren't asking the questions that i that i think we should be asking that (laughs) that a lot of people ask in fact we have family jokes that we got extra vaccinations because we were signed up for trials my family uh, was very poor in med school (laughs) yes and emma uh uh excellently got one extra (laughs) oof terrorized Uh, Uh, on the other hand though my husband was not vaccinated at all so we come together as a really interesting couple and most of my friends generalizing here are really hesitant to vaccinate their kids. Is that something you, that you find um, moms in your circle uh, couples are talking about? Yeah. Uh, I have a lot of mom friends who have a child the same age as mine, around six months, or or they're about to for the first time. And it's a hot topic, especially after COVID. Mm. Recently, uh, I mean, just yesterday, I was actually um, out in our waiting room. It was a quiet moment. There was a mom taking care of her, her child there. And she piped up and said, hey, cross politic, love it. But when are you going <laughs> to talk about vaccines? Because I have got questions. It's a huge topic. It really is. So why don't you launch in? What are some things that come to mind as you're thinking about it or as you hear your friends talking about it? Okay, here's a big one. When it comes to vaccines, who do I trust, right? Mm. There's studies all over the place. Different moms have different opinions. Everyone knows someone who got autism because they got vaccines. Or someone who passed away, a child who passed away after they were vaccinated. Who do you trust about vaccinations? And that's a fascinating challenge. So the, the let's maybe if I back up a little bit and talk about why we have vaccines, sure. what's the whole idea that's behind great. Yeah, vaccines? Yeah, tell me a little bit about the history of vaccinations. Yeah, so you probably have heard of William Jenner uh, or vaccination uh, with uh, cowpox or, or smallpox. You ever heard about that? Yeah, a little bit, not much. Yeah, so, I mean, we're talking um, a, a approach to the human problem, which is getting sick with bad things. Okay. And the idea basically is that we have this marvelous immune system that's very predictable. It's been built by God into everybody. It is this remarkable thing that not only can help us fight off infection, but actually has the ability to have some memory of previous infections. Make sense? Yes, sure. So William Jenner did this pretty amazing experience experiment where he had this idea 
was actually because he was watching milkmaids who weren't <laughs> getting sick with smallpox. Okay. So here's what he figured out. He figured out that there was a similar illness to smallpox, which is, a if, if you've read American history, wiped out Native American cultures like crazy, really was a, a source of significant illness among young kids and adults, really awful illness, a lot of suffering with it. He realized that when he was watching milkmaids who were getting a cowpox, that when they got the cowpox, they didn't get infected with smallpox. Hmm. So he had this idea. What if we took a little bit of cowpox and we infected people ahead of time with that? Would that keep them from getting the smallpox? What happened? So he actually is pretty crazy. And it's, uh, you can go find papers on this. He would actually take a needle. He'd dip it in the pox <laughs> and then he'd stab someone else's arm with it. They'd Hopefully get a smallpox. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure the consenting cross is very different. And, and he really discovered that, um, that these folks just didn't get the bad illness. And it really revolutionized the idea of what if you got a bit of the illness before the big version came through? And that's really what we're talking about, vaccination. In fact, the word vaccination is <laughs> from the word vacus. Uh, my, my Latin scholar here, which means? Moo. Moo. It's a cow <laughs> word. So we call this, based on this history of using cowpox, vaccination or vaccination, uh, which is another word that we use interchangeably for uh, immunization. So when vaccinations first became a big deal, what was the reaction to it? Do you know? You know, honestly, it, we were really in a different place. And I often talk to parents about that. We don't know a lot of these illnesses anymore, yeah. the ones that we vaccinate for. We rarely see lockjaw from tetanus, which was such a common problem. We don't see diphtheria, which was wiping out kids in droves. We don't see pertussis, which is really hard on little ones, particularly infants. And polio? Yeah, we don't see polio. I mean, ask a couple of grandparents, you might hear some stories, but we're talking generations now where we don't see these anymore. And, and to be straightforward, that is in large part because we've had people adopting and willing to undergo vaccination for those illnesses. So a big topic you talked about was COVID, um, was herd immunity. Yeah. And my impression was that you were talking about how generally the wide populace didn't need the COVID vaccine because yeah. they already had these antibodies. We were reaching herd immunity. Why is that different with different vaccines? Well, you're, uh, let me back up just to, yeah. to answer the question you asked before. Why is it that people are developing such a yeah. such a concern? Like a knee jerk, yeah. Really like bad. doctors are are pushing these vaccines. Uh, vaccination is bad. Uh, I think we have, as physicians, really lost the battle in a lot of people's minds and hearts over what the point is because we've pushed certain vaccines to people that didn't need it. Like what? Well, I would say that the COVID vaccine. And I'm trying not to get into the weeds here, yeah. but the COVID vaccine was given to a couple of different people that did not need the vaccine. Vaccination is really this idea of it's better to get a little bit of the illness, mm -hmm. better to get the vaccine before you see the big illness. But that means that you have an equation going on, yeah. that the illness is either so bad, so severe that the risk of it is worth the risk of the vaccine. Let's stop right there. You just said risk of the vaccine. So there's risks with vaccines. Absolutely. What do you mean by that? Well, anything that we give you, and this is medicine, and medicine, good medicine should talk about these risks yeah. and benefits, indications and alternatives. It really should be this open discussion. And I think that that's another, <clears throat> excuse me, another reason that doctors have really failed. We tend to take this my way or the highway. Take this vaccine or you don't get care at my clinic. Yeah. 
I'm not lying. <laughs> there, there, are, there are patients in our clinic who's, who come to us and they say, I haven't seen a pediatrician in years because they have a complete you must vaccinate or no care policy. Oh, goodness. We just moved from Kentucky and the small town we lived in had one health provider who owned all the clinics. They would not see you at the pediatrician's office unless you signed on to the vaccination schedule. That's you, amazing. You're just out in the water. That, that preempts a really honest conversation. And it really makes, I think, physicians lazy because we mm -hmm. don't have this openness or this recognition that first off, mom and dad, you are responsible for making the ultimate decision for your child's health care. Sure. Not the doctor, not the public health nurse, not the government, mother and father. And that is honestly not the op opinion of most physicians. That's a really, really scary and I think pejorative place to start. The second is that we, we really are not I will say in med school, I wasn't trained to have conversations about, about hesitation, uh, about some of the questions that I think you're going to ask me here today. But I've worked hard to get on top of them because I realized, man, I need to be a, a, a good resource for my people. I need to be willing to have these conversations. So caveats aside, and I know you have them, what is your general point of view on vaccinations? Yes. For, against? So I, I think that in, in large part, many of the childhood vaccines that are still in use are worth considering. Can you name those? Yes. I tend to encourage diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis. I tend to encourage polio. I tend to encourage haemophilus influenza, which is called Hib. I usually encourage pneumococcus, which is called PCV. Mm -hmm. um, those are really the ones that are usually given before the age of one. They're in stair steps, meaning you often recommended age two month, four month, and six month. Um, why do I recommend those? Yeah. Well, in, in several parts. Those were awful illnesses. Thank goodness they're not circulating currently. But I do think that we could see them come back if mm. we um, have enough families choose not to vaccinate for those. And we drop below a certain level that we just don't have the herd immunity that you kind of referenced earlier. Yeah. Oof, I've... Googled uh, whooping cough, cough. Oh. It just hurts my mom heart. It's well, just and, rough. And diphtheria, um, I had family die of that back in the day um, uh, at the turn of the century. That was a miserable illness, and, and those are the kind of things that keep moms awake at night uh, when you think about losing an entire family of children one by one. And I'm not bringing that up to be a scare technique, but these were really bad illnesses. Yeah. So I, I, do, I do recommend those. Also, the marvelous thing about those is, at least in the United States, those vaccines are still available without embryonic stem cells being used in their production. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll table that for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, absolutely. A, let's come back because that's a, that's a big one. So, uh, so let's keep on the topic of herd immunity. Tell me a little bit more about that, how that works with yeah. vaccines. If, if I choose not to vaccinate my kid, you know, this whole love your neighbor thing that's going around, how does that all play together? Well, vaccination... Oftentimes, the, the pushback on it is not everybody gets benefit from vaccination. And that's true. Every individual has a different response to vaccination. Some people, uh, and we see this in pregnant moms, that's one of the reasons that, that pregnant moms get tested for measles uh, immunity as part of their pregnancy process. Not everybody, when they get a vaccine, actually has it take into their system. They don't develop long-term immunity. But by and large, if you get a large group of people in your society that have uh, immunity to it because they've been vaccinated or they've had natural immunity to it from having experienced the illness, a, a circulating uh, contagion will not pass around at the same level. You might see an occasional small outbreak, but it won't go big and take out an entire community. So let's take measles. Uh, how much of the population do you think has herd immunity to measles right now? Well, actually pretty, pretty large. Okay. Um, and that's based on the, again, the routine 
um, test that is often done for pregnancy. We see most women, um, because they were vaccinated as kids, are still maintaining that immunity during their pregnancy. And, and uh, so by and large, we're not seeing uh, measles outbreaks. We and did have how, one. How does flu. that immunity translate to when you have the baby? Does the baby have the same immunity? Uh, it has some immunity for a short time passed through breast milk. A lot of antibodies are passed that way. But once the child um, is feeding on their own, they don't maintain that immunity. So then why are vaccination schedules so early, right? My daughter had her first vaccinations yeah. at two months, yeah. four months, six months. That's, that's a great question. I think that that's one of the areas that are a lot of parents go, my, my goodness, my perfect little baby. And, and, uh, if you, if you need a conversation about perfect little babies, listen to our recent <laughs> podcast on vitamin K. Um, they, they think, why are we, why are we pushing these chemicals in so early? Wouldn't yeah. it be better? And they're growing so much. There's a lot of development. And yes, I agree. Um, I think that the diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, the polio, the Hib, the pneumococcus, particularly the Hib and the pneumococcus, uh, which are common ear infection, common pneumonia, really severe pneumonias mm. in that age group, um, has really dramatically changed the childhood experience. Uh, I had a brother hospitalized when he was uh, about a year and a half with pneumonia. Um, that was a very common childhood experience when I was growing up. The pneumococcus the Hib uh, uh, vaccines began when I was in, shortly before I was in med school. It actually has resulted in a pretty amazing thing, almost um, a 90% uh, a, a drop in hospitalizations of kids in the winter months. Hmm. So much so that it actually doctors have a hard time getting enough kids to see in med school. Uh, <laughs> if because they're on they're a just, winter rotation. Yeah, because they're, they're tending to be vaccinated for things. I think one of the real pluses is when we see those kids immunized, they rarely have ear infections that need antibiotics. So there's a huge plus in having your kid gain immunity through vaccination for some of these things and preventing something else that we're really concerned about. A lot of parents are too, which is frequent antibiotic use in this age. But uh, I think you're kind of leading towards the question of measles and- Yeah, so, so take measles. What's the status of measles in the United States? When do we stop vaccinating for it because it's just dead and gone? Mm. Great question. It, we, we saw an outbreak of measles here in the community about four years ago. It was okay. a family that hadn't uh, vaccinated some of the children. They, they were a large family, like, like our family. Sure. And they just got to that point where they were like, oh, uh, we've, we forgot to come in for that. And they weren't intentional about missing it, um, but it just happened. They visited some family members in, in England who happened to um, have it passing in their family. The, one of the daughters with special needs and hadn't been vaccinated. And she picked it up from the place where she um, spent her days uh, at school. And so they happened to bring it home. Okay. Man, what a great opportunity. Not that you want to be that kind of case where a doctor gets it's excited about study. you, but I got an opportunity to see yeah. measles for hand. And it had a great opportunity as, or a great impetus in that it, it actually spurred a good conversation about measles in our community. Mostly to say, man, measles used to be a really common childhood illness. Is it necessary to vaccinate for? Sure. Um, and what, what when I reread it, I was really came away with a sense that I had gone to med school and thought this is universally deathly, deadly, and everybody's yeah. going to die of measles. And and in reality, it was actually a very common childhood illness that almost nobody died from, except for a couple of unique circumstances: babies that were not yet born. Hmm almost entirely fatal for those kids, particularly Goodness. if they got, if their mom got sick with measles in the second or third trimester. 
And a lot of newborns and, and toddlers, if they got measles, could end up with significant um, brain in, impairment, hearing and vision loss. Uh, they think that that's why, if you're a Little House on the Prairie fan, why what Mary got uh, that made, made, oh, her, made her blind. It made her blind. So when that came to the community, did you see more people vaccinate who were hesitant to before once they had an actual strain here? There was a, certainly a, a, a quick panic, yeah. uh, and we got a lot of conversation to our clinic with considering uh, consideration for vaccination. But I would say it was a it was a pretty small blip, partly because a lot of people are aware that the measles, mumps, rubella, the MMR vaccine, and the varicella vaccine are are embryonic stem cell. Yeah, let, let's go there. Let's talk about that. So first. Uh, can you explain what embryonic cells are, yeah. how they're used in vaccines? This, this is something I, I didn't know until several years ago. And I think if we had known, we would have, we would have really weighed whether you girls, uh, whether my kids would have gotten this vaccine. Because embryonic stem cells are tissue that's taken from aborted children. Taken when? Taken, the, these children are born. You can read about it. You yeah. can actually go find this, the, the exact data of the yeah. stem cell line uh, that was created in the 1970s and 1980s. There's two different stem cell lines that were created that are the only way that this measles vaccine is now made. It's made by Merck, uh, one company for the entire planet. What's the alternative to fetal stem cells? Well, for this vaccine, there is no alternative. But uh, the alternative for most vaccines is most vaccines are made with chicken eggs. <laughs> yeah, it's still an old fashioned way that has been done for for actually centuries made, made, made uh, vaccines that way, um, or tissue that's taken from animals and mm. created stem cell lines. Um, it, there's quite a few, uh, what we would consider ethically non problematic ways sure, of yeah. making vaccines. The problem is, we've just never, we don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, and when I talk to to many Christians, we feel beholden that we need to tell them, hey, you need to know about this these vaccines. And it's the hepatitis A vaccine, okay. it's the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, and it's the varicella, or what, we, what a lot of people call chickenpox vaccine. Those three vaccines are only available through embryonic stem cells. Um, I'm Ooh, glad yeah. COVID actually brought that up. A lot of people started saying, well, I heard that there's embryonic stem cells in COVID, and what and, does that and mean? And was there? Yes. Huh. Yeah, almost all the COVID vaccines are made that way. Um, and no, no great alternatives for it. Okay, so walk me through the ethical concerns here. So you have fetal stem cells back in the 70s, yeah. right? Um, those are replicated and replicated. They're yeah. still being used. As a Christian, what should yeah. I think? Well, I think there's first off just a conversation about why was this done? Yeah. This Oof. is a grievous wrong, any life that was taken. And now we have a life that was taken and tissue that's been stolen. I mean, there, there's, a, there's some fabulous reads about this. There, there's a woman, Harrietta Lacks. Yeah, Lacks. Mortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Yes. That's a real fun one. Yeah, and, and, and she's an adult woman who had her tissue taken and used without her permission. Um, these are children who were, who were killed for this purpose. Now, I'm thankful, as best as I know, and, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, these embryonic stem cell lines are not requiring more children to be killed to replenish mm -hmm. them. But I will tell you, I have been alive now uh, since uh, the Bush administration, George Bush, the second uh, uh, president that was named Bush, who, who actually extended these, these cell lines and said, well, I guess they're out there. Well, they've already been made. The damage has been done. Let's go ahead and use them for research. And now um, we have places like the University of Washington, just over in Seattle, where I went to med school, that are harvesting aborted babies for the purpose of more stem cells. 
like this began, this was the crack that began a grievous wrong that is now using babies for yeah, wicked, the wrong wicked. reason. It's wicked. But I, but I would say here we are in this challenge and this is, man, if I was a parent in this process and I'm thinking, Oof. man, do I use this vaccine? Are these real illnesses? Do yeah. I need to protect my kid? To, and to put a real like name to the face. So we had a preemie. Yeah. Uh, she was born three weeks early. She was four pounds. It's not supposed to be that way, right? Yeah. Uh, it was also in the winter months. So oh, what was going around? Oh, RSV, RSV was going around. So we, we were, I think we were reasonably nervous that an illness would put her in the hospital, yeah. would put her in the NICU. Yeah. Um, so when it, ti- when, it, when it became time to get vaccinated, uh, how did you advise us regarding MMR? Yeah. What I would say is, first off, um, that measles, mumps, rubella is a, is a good vaccine that works well. It's not, it, it was made in this way and we need to be aware of it. I do not think that using the vaccine makes you complicit with mm. the murder of this child. Um, but I do think we need to acknowledge that this has opened a door to using aborted children for other medical reasons. Um, and then and then the conversation is just, what do you wanna do? At the end of the day, I, my, I, my job is to give good advice and to help parents think this through at the end of the day, the mom and the dad have to ultimately, and this is a hard one. Yeah, it's really hard. Uh, if you if you say no, if you turn it down, I feel like you're you're voting, right? You're yes. voting with your actions. If you say yes and you take the vaccine, uh, it's helping your little child, hopefully. Uh, but and I think that is the challenge to parents. There are there are a fair number of parents that just don't. They 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 say, well, this is too hard to think through. I think I just won't do the vaccination. And, and I think that is a decision that you're making. You are by omission. Um, and we, we use that word sometimes, uh, by, uh, making a decision by omission or commission, this idea that you, even by omitting or by not doing something, you're making a decision on behalf and you are responsible as a parent <laughs> to think that through. And I, and I, and I, and I want to be, uh, and I want to encourage people that might be listening, find a doctor that is first off going to open the doors and have these conversations. Second, a doctor that's not going to say these are mandated and they're required because that obviously is a non-starter for the conversation. And the third, a doctor that strongly supports parental rights. I'm thankful. Idaho, we really have a strong parental right. In Idaho, you can um, download a form and you can say, I don't want these vaccines. Um, you do have to report that at the beginning of school if you enroll your children. Um, but, but beyond that, you're not required to take them, um, unlike Washington, unlike particularly uh, Oregon and California. I was just going to say, I'm so thankful Well, for my dad, who happens to be mm. my doctor, but for a family doctor, old school family doctor you can talk to, because I can only get so much information. Yeah. I don't want to be reading studies. I don't, I don't have the capacity to do that, nor the time, and I don't think I'm going to get much out of it. But to have someone you know is looking into it, you know cares about it, you know has the, the foundation to be able to learn about it, but then also the moral concerns to wade through it. And then can give you advice. Um, well, and, and it's really important because at the end of the day, you, you want to be well informed, but you also want to be supported as as father and mother for yeah. your children. And, and you're gonna have to trust someone, yeah. right? And you're gonna, you're gonna have, have to trust, trust studies. You're gonna have to trust the internet. Th- these are these are things you can trust. You can trust the internet. You can trust studies. You can trust friends. You can trust your doctor. You need to pick one. You need well, to and pick I, one and good. I appreciate people who are are honestly earnest. Um, who who are and I often begin the conversation. What questions do you have? How yeah. can I help you? Um, and some people are saying, yeah, I just, I don't really want vaccines. And, and then, okay, um, I feel at the end of the day, I can I can uh, leave that in a good conscience and, and uh, continue to care for that family. Um, sometimes I'll acknowledge um, a good one is a conversation about tetanus. I, mm. I just gave a tetanus shot to a little boy yesterday 
Um, his family has chosen not to vaccinate, but um, they're also uh, love running barefoot in the backyard. <laughs> and I seem to see at least one of them every year. Uh, and, and then tetanus is often a, a conversation that we have at that time. Uh, the mom talked to me last night. She said, boy, uh, we thought about it more after our daughter had a really severe um, uh, foot injury, ended up having to go to the emergency room and get tetanus toxide, uh, which is a treatment for kids that don't have immunity, is expensive, and it was painful. Uh, it was over $1,800, she Oof. said. Yeah, and, and those, are, those are the challenging consequences that sometimes come from um, choosing not to vaccinate, uh, and that's, it is what it is. Well, let's say you do decide to vaccinate. Let's walk through that. Mm -hmm. What do you think about sticking to the schedule? Is it necessary? Why so close together with those first couple months? Well, I do think there is some wisdom in the way that they're that they're organized, basically an understanding of how these vaccines work in the body. So I often tell parents, if you're going to do these, do them in a thoughtful way. Okay. So when it comes to these ones that are the schedule that the two months, four months and six months, I usually tell parents when you begin these now, I think there's some some reasonableness about waiting a couple of months or sure. waiting. But when you do start these, when you decide to go ahead and follow the two month interval, because that's how our body responds to these. Those vaccines, interestingly enough, are not live vaccines. You don't actually get a case of the illness. You're basically just being exposed to a little bit of the virus or a little bit of the bacteria. So your body knows what to recognize. So but if it, you actually got the illness, you just need it once to get the antibodies to it. Correct. Okay. But if but to get vaccinated, you uh, you need three times, and then sometimes a booster later on is, is often what we, we schedule at age two and again at age five. And then those are the kind of things that, uh, you know, a doctor will often say, hey, have you had a, uh, a tetanus shot in the last 10 years? Because we know that uh, vaccinated immunity is not long, lifelong in most cases. It needs a booster to be able to maintain it. But I, I would say that um, I have some hesitancy with giving measles, mumps, rubella in developing boys between the age of one and two. Why is that? Well, because uh, we've had a conversation a little bit about autism. We have no idea what causes autism. We know that it's a very complicated process. But we also know that there seems to be this period of time where autism shows up. And it's typically between the ages of one and two. It's this awareness that my little boy is not looking in my eyes, that he's not playing with trucks, that he's, that he's um, communicating differently. And the challenge is in a sitting of where we just don't completely know, measles, mumps, rubella, uh, which causes a pretty significant inflammatory response. It's a live virus, what we call a live attenuated. It, you do experience a bit of the illness. I think there is some consideration, uh, and I don't have a lot of data to support this, in fact, there's a fair amount of data and big research that says no, MMR does not cause varicella or does not cause autism. But I think that um, the jury is still somewhat out, and I think that there can be a consideration for a glow slow response on that. So if parents are thinking about those vaccines, uh, even beyond the question of about embryonic stem cells, I have no hesitation with them, particularly since we don't have measles circulating, for them to wait a couple of years. Hmm. So that's what if you, my, what that's if you my have a child, professional opinion. Uh, you give them their two-month dose, their four-month dose, and they have a really bad reaction. Yeah. Uh, do you recommend following up? What, what do you say to them? Well, and that's the reality. Again, we, we began the conversation a little bit at the beginning about do vaccines have risks? Yeah. They really, really do. How do we? What kind of risks? Yeah. So one of the biggest risks is you're stimulating the immune system. Sometimes immune systems overreact. Let me give you an example. 
Mm-hmm. Ever heard of a food allergy where a kid gets anaphylactic? Yeah. Yeah, or uh, needs to quickly get some a shot of adrenaline, needs to run off to the ER. Vaccines occasionally cause that. Now, it's, it's really rare, but it is a known risk. And we know, uh, in fact, I spent a lot of time over the last year as people were trying to decide, how do I not get the COVID vaccine? They would often come with, hey, I've had vaccine reactions before. Mm. Does that mean that I might react against the COVID vaccine? And in many cases, the, the answer was yes. So if you react badly to one vaccine, you would anticipate another odds of someone reacting Well, it certainly would make again. you pause first. Yeah. And then some of it is because of those vaccines being made in chicken eggs. So it contains a little <laughs> bit of the chicken uh, allergen. And some people are just re- react to, to egg who, who might have egg allergens. And so it, it's not, um, I'll give an ex- uh, example, uh, flu shots. Um, there are versions of the flu shot that are not grown on chicken eggs, that are not grown on embryonic stem cells. And if you have an allergy, that's one reason you don't get the flu shot is because you have an egg allergy. You might consider using the non-egg version. Sure, sure. So at the end of the day, you have a mom. She's hesitant. Yeah. What's your quick little pitch to her about vaccines? Yeah. What's her next steps? What's her resources? I think that um, the the challenge or the question is first, um, be careful where you get information. Yep. Uh, my goodness, it's it's really hard to get good information. And the mom that I talked with yesterday shared with me that, uh, that, that there's so many moms sharing their experiences, like you talked about at the beginning. Everybody has a story of somebody's second cousin, third removed, who had a bad reaction or got this vaccine and ended up with this. Um, those stories are powerful, but they're not always um, helpful for seeing the big picture or weighing the risks and the benefits. And that's what medicine is. So have find a doctor who will talk to you, um, who will support you at the end of the day. Be decisive and think it through. We do tend to, uh, through our clinic, really encourage the childhood vaccines, particularly the ones that are given in the first year, because these are real illnesses that had um, really devastating childhood mortality and consequences lifelong. And I, and I, I don't want to see them come back. I think the vaccines played a big role. I also know that there's a ton of questions Like we haven't even touched on. Are there, are there bad things in vaccines? Yeah. Is there aluminum? Is there <laughs> preservatives? Uh, uh, what about if I vaccinate when my kid had a cold, when I give issues? My goodness, there's, there's so many conversations that, that, can, that can flow on this. Um, uh, we might need to asking. have a part two. If, if part, people have questions, they can, they can drop the two. questions. Part two, yeah, that's but great. We're and up and like we had minutes, uh, so. vitamin K, and, and I'll just finish up with this. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about vitamin K a couple of weeks ago in the podcast, and I encourage you to go listen to that. There's a couple of thing, questions I got back to me. Uh, let me address a few of them. One was, it doesn't uh, vitamin K have a black box warning? And, and, I, and I had to think, like, as a doctor, wait, uh, does vitamin K have a black box warning? And a lot of times it is a mom that brings these things to the doctor and the doctor can be sometimes surprised or we need our memories triggered. And then I remembered, oh yeah, well, it's a different circumstance. So it's vitamin, Blake, black box warnings. You've ever heard of that? Uh, what are you talking about? Like FDA? Yeah, FDA yeah. Will, will publish occasionally when they see a big warning or when they see a medicine used in a way that could be a risk to a person okay. over and over again. It's, it's like, you should anticipate this. This, this can go bad if a doctor uses it this way. Black box warning for vitamin K is don't give it to an adult in a high dose through the IV. Okay, that's a little bit of a different Yeah, but that's often yeah. like uh, yeah. one, of the, one of the moms that raised a question for me said, hey, a, a friend of mine said, doesn't this have a black box yeah. warning? And, and uh, I had to think about it. 
and and yes, it does, but not in the circumstance of a young child getting a dose under the under the skin or into the muscle. This is a huge dose in the IV to someone who has liver failure. You, you don't want to do that. That could cause some troubles. Uh, another one was the vitamin K. Does it does it cause neonatal jaundice? A lot of people have. Have mm. jaundice? You, uh, we put you in the sunshine. I think you ended up with a Billy Light for a little bit. You sure about that one? Well, I think your older sisters did at least. Uh, we have to think back. When you have nine, you don't always remember as clearly. Maybe Lucy. Maybe, yeah, maybe Lucy. Lucy. Yeah, and and it is. It's a it's a um, circumstance of of uh, something happening in sequence or in consequence. We often see jaundice in the first seventy two hours of life. A vitamin K shot is often given on day two of life. Parents go, aha, one plus one equals two. But they're really different circumstances. But it is a good question. I'm glad people are asking that question. I, I, uh, I've done some reading, and I don't think that they're related, but it's certainly something that I'm going to keep thinking about further um, as people raise that question. Well, there you go. You got a little bit on vaccines and a smidge at the end on vitamin K. So let me, as, as we leave, let me uh, pray with you as we, as we ask for wisdom. Lord God, uh, thank you that you are the God of all wisdom, and we thank you for opportunities to, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as father and daughter, to be able to talk frankly about things of, of importance. Father, give us wisdom as we raise our children. Father, we want to do so to your glory. Thank you through Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Mirror Medicine. We look forward to seeing you again back in the Cross Politics studio in a couple of weeks.